I am with uh, Christy Tyrone, author, famous, infamous even author. Um, she's written 13 books, coincidentally, the same number of colonies. And um, most of her books are even about that time period when, you know, the colonies uh, still kind of mattered, I guess. Existed? Um, ex yeah, the colonies still existed. <laughs> um, you know, they went from colonies to states to oppressive forces against the people. But... We're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about oh, all the. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll uh, talk about you know a couple other things, but um, Chrissy, I, I don't do anyone justice introducing them. I like them to introduce themselves because they know themselves better than, than I can, uh, even more so than the FBI and CIA. So uh, if you want to tell who everybody who you are, and... okay, yeah. So my name's Christy Tyrone. I live in uh, Arizona, in rural Arizona, not not in Phoenix, the big city, <laughs> um, and the big city that ruins all of our elections. Um, I am a, a stay-at-home mom. I'm a homemaker, which is the best job in the whole world, and we have our little mini ranch going here, and um, so kind of do some homesteading, and then I homeschool my kids, all the home things, and... Um, well, my son is 18. He just graduated our homeschool, which is exciting. And then my daughter's 13. So we still have a few years to do, you know, schooling together, which is great. And then I write historical fiction novels in my my limited free time. <laughs> That's what I like to do. And um, yeah, my latest series is uh, historical fiction of the American Revolution and the build up to, like, like you said, when it was still the colonies. And um, at first I was going to write one big book. And then the more that I learned, like I just started with the Stamp Act era and I was like, there's so much. This book will be like way too big to publish. <laughs> so I decided to break it up into a series. So book one is on the market and there will be more, maybe I'm, I'm up to seven or so. We'll see as I start filling them in, but it's it's been really great and I'm looking forward to getting more out there. Yeah. I think the Revolutionary War is actually a really <clears throat> super interesting period of American history because it, it, it defines who we are as a society. Um, humans have their own characteristics as a species, but Americans specifically, we are a very unique breed of human. I've been mm. I've been all over Europe. I've been in the Middle East. I've been uh, just different parts of the world. And Americans, we're very, very unique. And I think the Revolutionary War and the conditions around uh, colonization of North America and from that point on the hardships that Americans had to endure to survive as a people, to survive as individuals and to survive as a nation. It's really telling as to why we are the way we are. We're, we're insanely uber arrogant. We're, uh, we're brash, we're crass, but you know, it took generations to get to this point. It took a lot of hard work and sweat to get here. And I love the revolutionary, uh, you know, war time period, whatever, whatever, because different people hate calling it the Revolutionary War, whatever. But I love that time period. It's really telling. It's it's kind of like origin story of the American spirit. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna check some of her books out. Look at this, I like how you said that origin of the American spirit because it's it is a whole thing of its own, right? It's like, um, like I said, the more that I've studied, I just. I want to learn more and more. And it's so relevant to today because we see how much that spirit is being crushed and so, from so many different facets of our society. And so reliving it f from the beginning, it's like, oh man, we can't, we can't let this go. There's no way there's, there's nowhere else to go if we let this fall. And um, I, one of the reasons, you know, I, I'm writing the book and hoping to get it out there further and further is because I want to hopefully re inspire and reignite that spirit in the people and remind everybody what we're made of and that um it's not it, it's not dead the american spirit is alive and there may be maybe not as many of us as i would like to see carrying that torch but it's still burning yeah there are a lot of people who kind of i guess you can't have nostalgia for a time period you weren't around for, I guess, especially something that long ago. Um, but the, the mindset is still there in a lot of people and it's the people that have it. It's super strong. And with them, um, the force is strong with them. 
I had to make that joke. I couldn't help it. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of people that have, like you said, have let it go. They just let that flame wither out and die. And it's, it shows, I mean, the American public has just, they've just kind of given up. We're not the great innovators. We used to be, we're not the great explorers. We used to be, uh, Americans used to be the best at everything we could strive to be. Now we're like, eh, we win the Olympics. We, we spend trillions on defense spending for some invasion. That's never going to come because the Russians have 95% of their military in Ukraine and can't beat them. The Chinese are focused on Taiwan, if we're honest. I mean, <laughs> we we have given up what it means to be American. And yeah. we 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 need these we need people to tell the story of why we are the way we are, to remember who we are. We've forgotten history. We like that's why we're so that's why we repeat it so often. Those who fail to remember history are doomed to repeat it. And we repeat it year in and year out. Every four years, we do the same thing. We forget why we hate the person we just elected out. So we elect this, um, some other idiot that we all hate. It's just, oh, God. Yeah, it's really sad and to see. And I, I think that it's not just that we've forgotten our history it's that we're being robbed of it and obviously like i said i homeschool my kids and we started doing that seven years ago and that's really when my whole mind frame started changing about everything and um i always like to say homeschooling is a gateway chain breaker it's like you you break free of the public school system start doing things your own way and then you're like oh what other things have i been lied to about you know what other fallacies were fed to me like they were facts you know and so studying uh, the american history with my kids doing homeschool was what really started to like wake me up to all these things and of course that's when i um, got right with jesus right around the same time so that's a big part of the whole freedom factor here because you know where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty and and that's a big part of i mean well that is the american story also is that our colonists at the time um well they said really the Stamp Act of 1765 is when um, the kind of rebellion really started picking up. But at that time, we were, you know, some 150 years coming off of Christian nation building where the pilgrims came over for religious liberty and the different colonies kind of spread out. But everybody was working off of the Bible was their guidebook for how to do society. And so that's how they strengthened. And then that's how they ended up um, in the uh, at the end but in the beginning uniting the beginning of america was uniting on the spirit of god and that's a part that was not told to me in school <laughs> nobody shared that side of the story with me so as that started coming true you know coming clear i was like well this is it's it's like a, a missing piece that you plug in and you're like oh the whole puzzle is complete now it all makes sense and that that's another thing that's really America's really lacking in is um, faith <laughs> and that, you know, if you want to destroy a Christian nation, you go after the church. And that has been, unfortunately, a successful plan. So our churches are, are weak and quiet. Our public schools are destroying our children's mind and teaching them to hate our country. We're being robbed of our history, our heritage. We're being taught that the, the our founders who stood up and fought and gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to, to build this nation, we're being taught that they're nothing but a bunch of white racist slave owners and, and aren't worthy of the praise that you know they were originally given. And so you mix all that up in a in a little basket and everything goes starts to rot. And that rot has reached far and wide throughout our society and the effects are unbearably detrimental. And sometimes I wonder <laughs> if we're ever gonna fix it, but one by one, heart by heart, conversation by conversation, you know, you can start to make a change. So little by little, I think is the path forward. Yeah, I think I think two things can be true at once. I mean, you can, you can say the entire truth. A lot of people refuse to acknowledge that there's two truths to everything. Um, one of which is that a lot of the founding fathers were slave owners, which in a lot of ways did make them racist, but they were also geniuses of their time. They were also looking towards the future. There, I mean, there was nothing wrong with slavery at that point in time. Um, the Brits only re uh, offered slaves their freedom if they fought for them. They didn't actually give a crap if 
those slaves are freed yeah. or not. They still had slaves all over the world. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was a political tool. I mean, you can still say that these men were doing the right thing for possibly the right reasons. Um, a lot of their motives may have been self-serving, but in the in the long run, they benefited an entire nation, generations upon generations. Um, I mean, America at one point in time was the hot spot for immigration. Um, mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, when a lot of other nations needed it the most, needed people uh, people need to go somewhere, we turned them away. Um, and people forget, like you know, some of the greatest minds weren't always the greatest people. Bernard von Braun. Who was the head? Who was the head of NASA who put a man on the moon with a Nazi, not a neo Nazi, not a theoretical oh. Nazi, a literal Nazi in Germany who killed Jews? Yeah, Bernard von Braun. Because a famous quote of his was that um, the V 2 rocket was a great success. Unfortunately, it landed on the wrong planet. Talking about Earth, it was used to kill. Uh, other people he wanted to go to the stars yeah. he wanted he was a space explorer he's a dreamer but he worked with nazis because he didn't want to get killed and he probably wanted to, to develop the technology hitler offered him that that opportunity same mm-hmm. thing with some of the founding fathers like they had to play they had to give certain concessions to southern states who needed the slave labor to continue to operate mm-hmm. massive plantations they didn't necessarily fully agree with it, but they were like, eh, we got to do something. We've got to agree to something. This is their this is their line in the sand. We can't cross it. So we'll focus on other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like the slavery issue, it's so, I don't know, complicated. It sounds kind of cliche, but I mean, it was going on forever. Since the beginning of time, slavery has been a thing. You know, the, the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrews. You know, there's all kind of, you know. The African slave trade isn't the only one that happened. Um, it's for some reason the one that we focus on the most, and I guess because it came to our turf on such big scale. And just because it happened forever doesn't make it right, but it's not like America started it. I think there are actually some people that think that America started slavery, and I'm like, that's like not true at all. Um, we inherited it from Great Britain, and a lot of our founders did want to get rid of it. Like... And like I said, the complication comes in when Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, um, yet he was the one, he tried to write slavery out in the Declaration of Independence. There was a 28th grievance that wanted to get rid of it right then. But like you said, there was concessions had to be made because the Southern states didn't want to do that. And they knew that to do the Declaration of Independence, it had to be unanimous. They had to get everybody on board. So there was a lot of give and take that happened there. And um, I think the... um, abolitionists kind of thought that, okay, well, if we do this now, we can work on that later. And then they did in time and time. But like I said, it's, it's a worldwide and it's a lifelong, it's a historic issue that's always been there. And I mean, it still goes on today in different ways. We can talk about that on a whole other episode. But yeah, so that's not all that we were. And yeah, you can be um, messed up and still do good things because we're all messed up. We're fallen people. And if we just want to focus so hard on everybody's flaws, it's like, then we're not going to, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it really does come down to, you know, pe- people want to attribute malice to people because it's clickbaity. It gets them in the news. It gets follows on Twitter and YouTube and all this blah, 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 blah. So and I think the reason why um, African-American or African slavery in Britain and the U.S. is so on the tip of everyone's tongue is because it's very recent. Um, mm-hmm. It's been taught in history books. It's taught in history class. Everyone knows about it. It's not a secret. So it's been galvanized as a tool, number one. And number two, yeah. Americans have a short memory. Most people can't remember 10 years yeah. ago. I'm yeah. guilty of that. Like I'm, I'm doing so many things today that I can't remember 10 years ago. Um, it's, and it's bad. It's, it's a, it's a shameful, it's a shameful part. It's a shameful part of the American experience. Like the American spirit is we, we don't hold on to the past super hard, but we probably should. We should probably start focusing more on where we came from to know yes. where we're going or to help guide us to where we're going. Um, but slavery fully exists today uh, in Africa. Mm-hmm. If you look in Africa, entire countries embrace slavery 100%. And that's a lot of the slaves that we got. 
uh, in the United States came from slavers in Africa, other Africans, Muslim Africans who enslaved Christian Africans and sold them. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was a whole religious warfare thing, but slavery's never gone away. We can pretend that it has. We can pretend that, oh, you know, African-American slavery is over. No, they just changed it. They just made all of us slaves to the government. I mean, they, they force yeah. you. They, I mean, I mean, here's the aspect of it, right? So you buy a piece of land. You never build anything on it. No matter what, you still owe your master's money for that land. That's Well, that's, if, you, if, if you spend your money to improve your land with your own labor, then they raise your property tax because it's worth more now. That's slavery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's oh. at, at bare minimum, it's serfdom. Yeah. Um, well, and then you could even look at like, let's go down this rabbit hole, but like the whole illegal immigration issue um, coming from California and, and there was a lot of farmland there and um, everyone's like, oh, you know, the rights and they need their people too. And yes, all that stuff. But what happens is they, they come over illegally, these people, and then they work the farms for like near to no money. And then they don't have the the rights the the labor protections that american citizens have and so these farm owners they're they're enslaving these people they're like oh here's a little bit of you know chump change and they're ha- the workers are happy with it but like i said if we're really about fair and equal and stuff like they should get the same labor rights that american citizens have so that's a whole other you know animal but it is a form of slavery that's happening today and it's, it, I, I know it personally in California, I'm sure there's other places where it's happening. Well, I mean, it, I'm, I'm going to tie this all together. You'll, you'll love this. So, <clears throat> yes. So what you said was correct. So these illegal immigrants who are coming over, they are more than happy to work for the, the amount that they're being given because that's way more than they would have been making where they came from. Um, as Americans, we're arrogant. We're like, $4 an hour? That's crazy. I would never do that. But we were so pretentious in thinking that that's poor for them. They love it. They're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with all this money. This is insane. Um, and then you have to look at these farmers. They're not choosing to pay these people nothing for no reason. They're forced into this. They're, they're, they're having to hire illegal immigrants because they're the only people they can pay under the table for next to nothing because they're being forced to pay them that. They, they, they're, the profits of farmers are so low due to price control at the federal level and all these regulations that they put on farmers, whether it's cattle or other livestock or crop or whatever it is, they're forcing these farmers to basically hire these illegal immigrants. And they're looking at the farmers like, well, I can't imagine why you would do that. Why don't you pay them $15 an hour? And they're like, because you guys have forced us into daggone near bankruptcy we can't hire anyone else yeah it's like uh, the slave ranking right because it's like we're so enslaved to them and our overbearing taxes and regulations Uh, we my husband and i owned an auto shop when we were in el cajon in in san diego and there was we hired um we did a lot of independent contractor work back when that was legal in california which it isn't anymore um but we hired one employee once like on the books, employed, like paying all the taxes and stuff. And it was double the wage of paying that person to work there however much an hour. But then all the taxes, the workman's comp, all the other little regulations and fees and stuff. I was like, we can't do this. We wouldn't have been able to stay in business doing that. And then we moved to the desert and sold everything and got out of there and whatever that story ended. But it was, yeah, it's definitely, like I said, it's rank, it's rank slavery, you know, down the line, and it makes it really hard to do anything legally anymore. Um, and that's a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about on the podcast that I'm starting with my friend, Mark Deluzio. Um, and we're going to cover all these kind of topics, like like the federal minimum wage is something that Mark's going to talk about on our um, economics, constitutional economics um, episode. Because, like, the federal government has no say. They should have no say in that. It's not constitutional for them to talk about our wages and what we should be paid. And um, <laughs> I could go on about all that. But so many, so many of our problems, like, so we could, we could nit- nitpick all these little details. But most of our problems are because the federal government is out of control. They're acting outside of the bounds of the Constitution. And this, so that's the goal of the podcast um, that we're starting. It's going to be called... The Constitution Solution, one podcast under God, and talking about what the Constitution says, what's in there, because a lot of people don't even read it, and 
one of the things that makes America exceptional is the government, the limitations on the government. That's the difference that the government is not supposed to mess with our personal lives in the ways that they do. And because they've started doing that little by little, inch by inch, dollar by dollar, it's just gotten so out of control that it's caused all these other problems for us. And the people have worked out all these different things to get around it. They make you a criminal. You make you an outlaw by nature, just by trying to feed your family. Yeah. Most people don't realize that you commit at least six crimes a day. Um, whether it's at the state level or the federal level, yeah. there's so many laws on the books that you're a criminal every single day. It's whether or not they enforce it or whether or not anyone even knows about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So the majority of the interaction with government that you have is at your local level, like your local police, your local fire, whatever. But the majority of the legislation that they are enforcing or enacting or acting upon, I've said it three times now, because apparently I'm a thesaurus episode. Um, but <laughs> um, usually I'm Urban Dictionary. But, um, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, everything that the federal government touches and messes with are specifically things the founding fathers said not to do. They're like children. It's like, it's like having a five-year-old run the government. They're like, don't do these things. I'm like, okay. As soon as you walk out of the room, like, eh, fire, uh, gun control. Yeah. Uh, we're going to regulate the economy and eh, all these things. And and you're like, why? We told you not to. And they're like, ATF, FBI, CIA, NSA, mm, all these things. Yeah. yeah, it's their little ploy to get, like, the whole three-letter agencies. Don't even get me started on that. That's how they usurp their power you know out out and they're like oh we didn't do that congress can't do that but our little agencies can you know it's really sad and it's hard when you start looking you're like oh this and that and oh it's such a mess you know um and then the states too it varies from state to state like like you said when you're breaking you know how many laws an hour in california it was all the time it was like you'd wake up and you're like a whole new felon today you know for different things um, arizona is <laughs> You didn't pay your wake up tax. You killed a jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, straight to jail. Um, so Arizona is um, an interesting place because it's way better. Like the laws are limited and but heavily enforced. Um, it's a pretty good platform here, but it's it's getting all messed up now too, which is really sad. Like I just got here two years ago, just in time for it to all fall apart. Um, but my, but my county is really cool like it's a little beacon of freedom here and um i we did our research when we moved you know i was like calling you know mayors and congressmen i'm like what's going on in your state you know and it was during the the peak of the whole you know ruin the world virus and so um it kind of made it easy to shop for uh states and cities because it was like who's playing you know commie games and who's not you know and so like I said, my county's really awesome and we're we're really involved locally in our local government and stuff, trying to keep it that way. And and I'm there's a lot of people here that feel like my family feels about freedom and about America. And so I'm hoping that we can really stick together and stand up and just say no. I mean, that's why I said just say no to tyranny. Like it's really should be that simple in this country. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than just making these unconstitutional and tyrannical orders unenforceable. See, so I work, um, I don't, I never say who I work for um, live because, you know, people are freaking insane. Um, but I work for a national automotive chain. Um, I've been an automotive hopping on for about a decade now, different shops, dealerships, this place I'm at now. And I have, so we have an account with the, uh, with the motor vehicle management of Tennessee. So we do a lot of like state troopers, um, state vehicles, DCS, all the, all the, the three letter acronyms for the state of Tennessee. And a lot of the state troopers that come in are highway patrol. And I mm -hmm. talk to these guys all the time. Like, like someone will bring up politics, obviously, cause it's, that's yeah. the, 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 Everywhere. You know, the word of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll start talking to these guys. And a lot of them are prior service vets the same way I am. And I'll just talk to them a little bit. And I was cutting up with one guy today. He was a, he's a prior Marine. And 
I said, I said, because I seen a military duffel bag in the back of his car, and I said, you were a Marine, weren't you? He said, yeah, how'd you know? I said, all Marines either become a cop or a PE teacher. He said, funny enough, I almost became a PE teacher. Uh, so, <laughs> but the point that I'm making is I was talking to these guys, and a lot of them kind of agree with where we're at, but they're they're afraid of losing what they've built in their career. They're like, hey, we don't think any of these gun laws make sense they're stupid and they're useless and they don't benefit anybody but if i don't do it if i don't enforce it i go to prison and i asked i asked one guy said okay so you don't enforce this gun law you go to prison but as we've seen if you stomp somebody to death as long as it's off camera you walk and he kind of put his head down he said yeah he said yeah yeah Yeah, he said "It's, it's not their rule he said their rule is not to not kill people. He said their rule is to enforce their rules. Oh, it's so sad. And then I guess that leads back to the you know early American history. And um, one of the things that I've learned um, in studying deeper into it, like, okay, so the Stamp Act era, that is the one that book one, my book one is about. So that's 1765. And that is when the king um, put a tax on every single piece of paper. Um, it was to cover the war debt from the French and Indian War that was two years prior. And with that, it offended every class of people. So everybody kind of came together in their ire about that and um, stood together to um, boycott things. And um, the there was the first time like a little Congress formed. Um, nine of the colonies got together and were like, hey, we don't like this. They wrote letters and we're trying to like peaceably do this. Um, and as you look at this, like the things that these people did to make the Stamp Act unenforceable or just like everybody should know this. Every American should know this story. And so they um, made it so anybody that took the job as the stamp collector, the colonists would just harass him. They were like, what are you doing? You're betraying us. You're going to really do this to us, you know? And they would burn, the eff- hang the effigies and burn them and make a whole spectacle of it. Of course, they got out of hand a few times and did some, you know, mostly peaceful rioting where they broke windows and uh, caused all kinds of problems. <laughs> mostly <laughs> peaceful, right? Yeah. You know how that goes, the flames and all. Um, the one guy in Boston, they, um, Oliver, Oliver, Andrew Oliver, they um, mobbed around his house. They broke out all his windows and they went and they looted all his furniture. It was, it was really rough. Um, but... <laughs> Never to justify that kind of behavior. But like these people didn't have a voice. They didn't have a way to express their stuff. So a lot uh, back then rioting was a lot more common. And um, but then there were other people that just did it peacefully. And they they basically made it so that nobody wanted to be the stamp collector. Nobody was was willing to stand up to their own people and go against their their fellow colonists. And um, when the ships came in, they would bar the ships with all the, the stamps and all the papers and all the stuff. They'd be like, eh, you're not even bringing that stuff to shore, dude. We don't even want that here. And so a year later, the king repealed the tax. They're like, this is unenforceable. It's just not working. Um, like I said, looking at that, which hopefully, hopefully everybody reads my book and learns all about it. Um, but there's so much there that we can look at now and just make these things unenforceable just say yeah. no to tyranny <laughs> so one thing uh all right so i was figure out how i want to phrase this so a lot of libertarians have been adamantly for tulsa gabbard there's been a lot mm-hmm. adamantly against tulsa gabbard me being the uh pot stirrer that i am have fought both sides just because i like driving people insane um, but I will say this, she had a very, very base tweet the other day. It was amazing. Um, I'm actually going to share it here. Um, it's, it's got like a little video attached, whatever, cause she's a politician and she's running for president now, but, um, oh, is she? Or, I don't know. I don't know. Probably. Uh, <laughs> but actually my girl, uh, the, uh, ambassador to the U S to the UN, under Trump, what's her name? Oh gosh, um, Nikki Haley. She's running now. So she's a super statist. Like she is like super pro war when we needed all that crap. But I like Nikki Haley for the simple fact that 
when uh, the UN ha- passed that resolution or whatever to say that the U.S. can't move their embassy from one part in Israel to Jerusalem. And she said, mm-hmm. you guys can pretty much go F right off. We are a sovereign nation. We have the right to do what we want to. But at the same time, we were still in in the middle of invading two nations, Iraq and or in the invasion you know. part of Iraq and Afghanistan. It was a little hypocritical, but yeah, there's a lot of that I mean, in politics. Point still made sense. But so what Tulsi Gabbard actually said, and the video is still playing. Um, uh, we'll pull up here. So she said. So what she said was unelected ATF just made a new quote-unquote law that turns 40 m uh, 40 million law by, law-abiding gun owners into felons for owning a pistol brace which is fairly mm-hmm. common ATF does this all the time makes everyone a daggone felon for something stupid latest example of the bureaucratic state making laws undermining our freedom and democracy this must stop yeah I mean, that's pretty much, that's the truth of it. The ATF is a bureaucracy that was allegedly designed to help mitigate gun violence or gun um, misuse, misuse, I guess, is the the correct term. Uh, Also, alcohol, tobacco, and fire. Actually, I think it was started to to fight uh, the help with the prohibition after the prohibition. It was a whole weird thing. Anyways. That's a whole other tyranny there. Yeah, but I mean, they're making laws without being elected officials. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Congress Congress is supposed to be the one passing these laws, but the ATF's like, we're just going to do this. We're just going to do it. Y'all are going to just enforce it, and you're just going to get over it. And- People are just going to be like, oh, okay, okay. The ATF said so. Oh, let me turn my stuff in. Well, I hate that part. <laughs> so here's the tricky part. So, do you know why most gun shops, or actually 99.99% of gun shops, comply with the ATF? Why? Their license is at will. So, the ATF can pull a license overnight without warning, without restriction, nothing. They have the sole ability to prevent a store from selling firearms just because they can. Actually, I've been I've been doing a little bit of research on this. I may have a new guest for next week. But basically, gun stores have been going out of business silently over the last year because the ATF has been pulling licenses left and right for no That's reason. Horrible. That's horrible. And then and when they go one by one like that too, that's how they get you, you know little guy here, little guy there. And then everyone's kind of quiet. And, you know, it's like, gosh, it's like, we need to find a way to stand together better, which once again is a great example in early American history of everybody standing together. And everybody didn't always agree. You know, there was definitely combat among the people on how to handle this stuff back then. But um, the, the British soldiers trying to take our guns, it happened more than once during the buildup to the revolution. You know, they came in, um, it was in 74 and they came into Boston. It was after the Boston tea party and they were pretty upset about that whole scene. And so they came in and shut down the whole town of Boston, all of all the business, everybody done. You guys aren't leaving. We're guarding the gates. Like you're not getting out of here without our permission. And then they tried to go after the powder house and to take all the guns and ammunition. And the colonists at the time, they actually just prior purged their militia of anybody with loyalist ties and so um, all the patriots stood together and they guarded the powder house and they were like, no, dog, you ain't, you ain't taking our powder. And at that time, the the troops stood down and we got to keep our guns. Same same thing happened at Concord and Lexington when the, um, the shot heard around the world happened there on April 19th, which, by the way, should be a national holiday. It's like the coolest day in American history. And um, the British were coming through to take our guns. Um, I think most everybody kind of knows about Paul Revere's Midnight Ride. Um, He was going through that night to go warn John Hancock and Sam Adams that the troops were coming through Lexington. And their next plan was to go to Concord to once again, take the guns, take the ammo, take all of, take our freedom, take our right to defend ourselves from them. And um, that's the day that the uh, Lexington militia stood up on the lawn um, with their, 
they're muskets that mostly had probably only been used for hunting before and stood up to the 700, 70 men stood up to 700 troops and were just like, no, we, we can't, we can't let them go through here. Um, oh, there's, I could go on and on about that epic day. They were scared. They didn't want to do it. You know, I think a lot of people look back and, and we do have that gutsy American spirit now, but these guys were like scared, you know, that had to be a really intimidating <laughs> scene. Um, and actually I think a little known fact that's really cool is that their pastor led them out there. He was the one that was like, you know what, we've been, we've been waiting, training for this day. Here we go. You know, and may, may God be with us. And, um, they stood out there and were just like, no, we don't, <laughs> you can't go through. Um, it ended up, they ended up kind of backing down and the troops, we don't know who fired the first shot. My daughter always says that when she gets to heaven, the first thing she's going to ask Jesus is, who fired the first shot? <laughs> it was Han Solo. Uh, Han yeah. shot first. <laughs> <laughs> right? But we do know that um, eight of our militiamen died that day on the green, and most of whom were shot in the back while retreating. So if that's telling at all. Um, but the troops went through, and they went to Concord. They made it there, but by the time they got there, because... Um, the Midnight Riders went out to warn Concord. We were able to hide all the guns and ammunition. So they did not get the guns that day. And on the way back, the um, militias from all the other towns got together and met them on the roadway because we put in the whole committee of correspondence to keep in, in contact. So all the guys were, once again, united in this fight, right? And so everybody stood up and um, stopped them on the roadway on the way back. And surprisingly, the, the militia won that day. They stood up and fought the biggest army in the world and succeeded. And it's just, like I said, a little, little lone fact that they were, they were out to take our guns. And that was the day the war officially started. So <clears throat> did you watch that HBO series that they had? It was called uh, John Adams. Did you watch that? Yes, I did. What did you think of it? So my kids and I watched it for homeschool. Um, I, well, I love Abigail Adams. She's one of my favorites. She's like my American hero. So I liked really getting into her side of the story with that. Um, I liked it. I have the book. I haven't read the whole book yet, so I can't compare book to movie, but I, I enjoyed the story. What, what did you think? I thought it was really interesting because it gives a side of uh, the revolution era that a lot of people don't know of. Because um, they teach mm -hmm. the basics in high school or in, in school. They're like, eh, we didn't like the taxes. They never talk about the taxes. They never say what the percentage was. They say, oh, tax is bad. Uh, we fought a war over it. And here we are. And, and I think I think uh, most U.S. schools brief over it real quick because they're mm -hmm. afraid if we teach too much about it that people are like, what do you mean they fought over 3% at the highest we're at 30% now. Wait a minute. Yeah, they might learn. They might get some guts if they hear the story, you know. Um, one of my son's friends, um, he was in public school. And um, I, was, I always like to ask kids from the school system, what are you learning in history? And um, he was like, oh, we're learning something boring. You know, it's the Boston Tea Party. And I was like, who makes that boring, you know? <laughs> That is like, that's ridiculous. So I told him the story as I learned it with my kids, you know, and got them all excited about it. He's like, well, that's really cool. I'm like, yeah, dump that tea in the bay, dude. We cannot just tolerate this kind of stuff. But yeah, if they don't, if they don't make that exciting, if it's boring, I think the first step to destroying your history is making it boring. You know, you're like not even into it. And so if you're already detached and not like excited about it, then the next step, it's easier to make you hate our history because you already don't care about it anyways. You have no stake in the game. I think one thing that's interesting too, and I don't know if you've seen this correlation. Um, so I think the reason why they did it was incredibly stupid and ignorant. But the act was correct. So this whole thing about January 6th being the end of democracy and we're going to clutch our pearls and scream about how we were all going to die and the government almost fell with old ladies and walkers. 
Yeah. I liked it for the simple fact it kept politicians. It gave them that reminder of who America used to be. We used to tar, yes. literally tar and feather people and throw them into the ocean. We used to yeah. dump tea into the ocean. We used to kill people over a 3% tax. And now we're afraid to not wear a mask in public because we oh. might get arrested. It's yeah. so insane how meticulously they have beat people into compliance over the last almost 250 years. But Americans can still, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, um, what, it's what the NRA has done. It's a uh, appeasement. Appeasement never works. It's always more, always more. But Americans yeah. are so like, here, here's, okay. So I was talking about this other thing. I'm, I'm, well, I'll tie it back. I promise. So I love it. So I'm gonna tell the story. Uh, so a buddy of mine that works at the shop I'm at, his girlfriend is Chinese. And he was talking about, you know, the Chinese balloons and all this and all that. And we had this discussion about would China invade the U.S.? I said, no. Simple reason being, two points I want to make. One is Americans are incredibly dangerous when we're united. Two, the last time America was attacked was 9-11. The day of 9-11, the Bloods and the Crips, the two most violent gangs that hate each other in the United States, Signed a peace treaty. Oh, I didn't know um, that. They, yeah, yeah. They, they, they basically called a ceasefire for a while, and then they obviously went back to doing their thing. But the two gangs who were who are tra- like brainwashing to hating yeah. each other, Hat just because of, they said this this other stuff doesn't matter. We're going to go after the real enemy. Good. Luck, Winnie the Pooh, on yeah. coming to the U.S. We hate each other so much, we're willing to kill each other. Imagine what happens if we unite. Same thing oh. I say to the federal government: Good luck if you piss off enough people, and we become united. Because guess what? We kill each other for fun. Guess what we'll do to you when it comes down to it? Come and take it, right? Oh yeah, mm. unity is the biggest threat. And yeah, once again, I always go back to our history. That's what did it. The, the the colonies weren't united at first. They they were totally separate, you know, states, t- totally different separate colonies. They had their Entities. own governors. Yeah. And they had like the roadways were terrible. They were muddy and mucky and not really passable. And so we were connected by seaport for trade and whatnot. But it was when we united. That was the big deal. It was like, all right, we can't. Boston can't do this alone. You know, uh, North Carolina can't do this alone. You know, New New York. You know, there are little guys there. It was like we had to get together. We had to stand together. And that that's why it's so sad because we're so we are so torn apart now and so divided on these stupid issues. Um, but really, I mean, the biggest divide I see now is. It's freedom versus tyranny. That's it. We could talk party. You know, it's not about the political parties. It's not about, you know, the hate and the racism and all this other stuff they want to throw in your face. It is freedom versus tyranny. That's it. There's people who want big government. There's people who want the government to tell us what to do. There's people who love to see people suffer at the end of the government. And then there's people who just want to be left alone. We just want to be left alone. That's all I want. And But the other side won't leave us alone. They won't do it. And so we can't just sit back and pretend it isn't happening anymore. We have to get out in the fight. And not, not everybody's, I always wonder when, when is it time for you guys? You know, what, it, what is your line? When is that cross for, for my family? And it was, it was the mask mandate. We're like, we're not wearing the mask. We, I've, I've still not worn a mask. And we were in California and we found all our ways around to not do it then. And then, and then we left. And I was like, that, that, issue alone was like i'm done i ain't playing this game we're out of here and there's a lot of other things that california was doing that was just the final straw but then there's people that like mask their little children there's people who you know are having their kids get these experimental shots you know i'm like what is your line when is enough enough for you people come on let's do this let's wake up let's get together and fight for most people, I would say it's the, when they start building FEMA camps or gulags. Um, that's that's when, like, oh, what do you mean we're like going to prison for like you know not voting for the correct politician? And they'll that's what. But then it's too late. For me, yeah. 
the moment the government, the U.S. federal government crossed the line was the Whiskey Rebellion. That's how far back it was for me. Yeah. When, when yeah. you're willing to kill Americans for freaking taxes on whiskey, that's mm-hmm. too far. I read a really cool book about that. That is a fascinating little piece of history that, once again, is little discussed, right? Correct. Because they want they want Washington to be, be remembered as the first president with wooden teeth. And he was this magnificent human being who hated British taxes, but loved American taxes. It, well, and that's one of the things that's interesting when you look at, like, the building of the Constitution and, and the um, Federalist Papers versus the Anti-Federalist Papers, you know? And one of the reasons that they kind of wanted to do a federal government, one of the many reasons, there was there was a tax involved. They wanted to be able to get some taxes in there. Um, but there was also a lot of limitations on how they were supposed to go about that, you know. But what do they say if men were, Madison said, if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. So it's only men that are running the government. So you're going to have problems. Well, it's not just men. I mean, there's plenty of women in Congress. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> you laughing at? That's right. Stay over there, hair bun. Drink your beaker wine. Um, but no, I mean, it just I don't, I don't know what it would take to wake Americans up. I know that most Americans fully agree that we are way beyond what we're supposed to be, but they're not willing to do anything about it. I, I spoke to. Uh, a few high school classes at the, the the big high school in my area and the first class was like just droll it was it was the most i i might as well have been sitting up there naked it was so boring now the second class phenomenal um like they were asking questions and they we were talking obviously high school kids we ended up talking about weed legislation in the state of tennessee and i brought up the fact that Tennessee since the mid to late 80s has been either 75% or higher in approval of full legalization in the state of Tennessee. But it's never been passed. It's never been legalized. Tennessee, who is a major stopping point for all weed distribution on the East Coast, was also, or the part of the state that I'm in, very far east part, not Knoxville. Knoxville is not East Tennessee. Um, the the east part of Tennessee was a where most of the moonshine that went to Chicago came from. This is where the moonshiners lived. We have a long rebellious history. Actually, Christy, if you want a fantastic story, look up the Battle of Athens, Tennessee, spelt the same okay. way as the Greeks. Okay. You will love that story. It's very Revolutionary War style. But that was only Greek. 60 years ago oh fun yeah i'll check that out but yeah it's just just i don't what do you i mean what do you think it'll take to get people riled up and excited like we are to change something anything i i think it's like i said it's a, it's a conversation here and there it's it really is and i think a lot of people feel alone in it you know they're like well what can i do you know by myself but you can actually do a lot with a little group of people. Oh, it doesn't. And, and when one person stands up, then other people get the courage to do the same. So you just got to get more people to be that person that stands up and says no. Like when we were in California, we did a um, reopen California protest in our little tiny desert town where we lived. We walked down the um, highways with our signs and I don't know, there's no more than 20 of us there. Um, we got so much hate for it too, but <laughs> This is a silly little thing, but one guy drove by and okay. Okay. This is the craziest thing I saw during that era. The desert, they closed the desert. California closed the desert. They put caution tape up, right? They were like, don't go outside. Don't cross this line. Cause you'll get sick. And there was, <laughs> there was a spot where the, the, the caution tape was and one guy drove by and he was honking. He was all happy for it. He was honking at our protest. Like, yeah. And then he drove, he drove through the caution tape and started doing donuts, you know, and then drove off. You know, it was so silly little thing. But it was like our our little protest there got someone else excited. I don't know who that guy was. I don't know where he went or what he did afterwards. But he obviously was tired of that tape telling him to stay out of the desert, you know. 
And so maybe he stormed the Capitol. Yeah, maybe he was there on January 6th on Patriot Day. <laughs> you never know where that led, right? Yeah. Um, but then I see too, like, like for my husband and I homeschooling our kids, like we we give all this information to our children. And our kids are pretty cool little patriots. They're, they they know the Constitution. They know our Bill of Rights. And actually, one of was one of the our, the graduation requirements for my son was I had him recite to me um, in some the Ten Commandments and the Bill of Rights. I'm like, you don't know it perfectly word for word, but just I want you in the back of your mind to know what these things are, so you know how to access them when the time comes. And uh, they so they know this stuff, and they'll tell me my son or my daughter. They'll be like, hey, Congress is doing what? Hey, they can't do that. That's not constitutional, you know? Um, so taking the time to teach our children is huge. And one of the biggest problems is <laughs> the public school system. And it has been, it's been bad from the beginning. Uh, I know a lot of people think like, it wasn't like this when I was in school. And it's like, it was the beginning of the initial idea. It was like in the 1830s. And it was the first like state funded school, I think it was in Massachusetts. And it was this, this guy, Horace Mann, who was a total universalist, humanist. Um, um, we didn't, communism wasn't a thing yet. Marx wasn't doing his stuff yet, but it was um, th th the same kind of ideas. And so it started on a bad foot. It was never about education. It was about control. It was about getting in line. It was about doing what you're told. Um, and then it was till the 1930s that, it became like kind of forced public schooling where like, if your kids aren't in school, we're going to call the cops and see where you're at and what are you doing? Um, and it's been just downhill since it started. And I think that one of the things that I always kind of go on about that I get a lot of flack for is that um, all the mothers in the workforce, they have abandoned their children to the state. They go out to make a dollar and whatever the reason and then their kids are in these schools. They're, 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 I used to work in daycare. That was my job before I had kids. So I've seen it. I've seen it all. And these children are there from six to six. Um, they can be dropped off as early as three months old. Um, Maybe that varies state to state, but that was what I think it was in California. And so these little babies are not being held by their mothers. They're, they're crying to strangers. Um, they're very detached from their families. Um, they go home at night, watch TV, eat dinner, go to bed. They're not, they're not building that family bond. And in the end, and I guess what it is it now, it's like since 1994, um, the number of mothers in the workforce, and this is from married families with children under 15, according to the census, there's only 20 to 25% of mothers that stay home with their kids. So it's a smaller number. So 75% of the American women are in the workforce. Where are their children? Their children are in school. What are they learning when they're at school? They're not learning about that 3% tax, you know? They're not learning about standing up for your God-given liberty. They're not learning where we came from, what we're made of, and in fact, they're being taught to hate where we came from and what we're made of. And mom and dad are too tired to really counter that. And even, even if you do spend time with your kids afterwards, like, they're gone all day. These kids are being raised by the state and the internet. Imagine where that's going to end. <laughs> so what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is mm -hmm. we should have never gave women rights because then kids wouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's totally a joke. Yeah, yeah I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just learned a bunch of stuff about the 19th Amendment. If I could go on about that. <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, if you got to choose, you get to choose. If that's what they're choosing. Then that's not. I don't think it's a good choice. You're free to make that choice. I don't think it's a good choice. I think the consequences have been detrimental. So here, here we are. And I always say too, I'm like, we could go on and on, and we can fight for this freedom day and night. But if these, if the majority, as long as the majority of children are being raised by the public school system, like it's kind of almost makes our fight in vain, because they're going to grow up to be little commies. Well, I mean. Education is communism. I mean, mm -hmm. socialism is socialism. Communism is communism. Communism is socialism and back and forth. But, mm -hmm. I mean, public education is publicly funded the same way police mm -hmm. are, the same way the, the military mm -hmm. is. All of these things are socialism. And that's why we in the LP call Republicans socialist light. It's because they pretend like they don't like socialism. And then like, yes. we should spend $400 trillion on the defense every year 
And I'm like, that's socialism. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not a welfare program. I'm like, well, yeah, it's it terrible. It is for, it is for strippers totally who like, live like, near bases. It's totally communism light. It's slower, you know? It's like a little slower. It's a little more subtle. And I always think, too, a, a traitor a traitor is way worse than an enemy, you know? And so, I mean, I, I'm a Repu I'm a registered Republican, um, mostly because I'm pro-life, and that's the only party that still kind of sort of cares about that. But I'm like, it's so hard because they, they stab us in the back daily, that party. And I'm like, I know what the, the Democrat Party's going to do. I know they're coming. I know what way they're coming from. And, and the Republicans are honestly coming from the same direction, but with slower and creepier and sneakier. So it's, to me, it's honestly worse. So I like this discussion about Republicans being uh, pro-life. So one thing I enjoy talking about is uh, how Republicans aren't actually pro-life. They're just anti-abortion. Republicans get all offended about that, but so here's here's how. If you want to be pro life, this is this is the argument I always make. If you want to be truly pro life, we have to change the adoption and foster care systems in the U.S. Adoption for an American-born child around ten grand, around ten grand to adopt your neighbor's kid, between legal fees, court costs, all of these things that you have to do is ten grand. Uh, foster the foster care systems basically paid corporate slavery for kids. It's child labor in the U.S. It's it's horrendous. If you want to be pro life in the U.S., you have to be pro getting rid of those two things. Republicans are not. They love those programs. Mitch Rom Mitt Romney actually ran uh, one of the largest uh, foster care, like corporate owned foster care programs that's paid by the federal government in in his state. And he was making a massive amount of money from it, but he wasn't doing all the things that kids needed, like a good education, um, great health care. All of these things were just being paid to this corporation, and nobody was checking on it because the money's going somewhere. They're getting kickbacks, all these things. Same thing with adoption. No one cares that adoption costs $10,000. If you really want to get rid of abortion, and not even legislatively, like societally, um, just like just people saying this makes more sense is fix those two systems or just kind of abolish them anyways. Give yeah, people real it, actual solutions. I can agree with part of that. Cause like, I mean, I know um, a few Christian families who've wanted to adopt. And um, so I've learned a little bit about the, the messed up process there. And I, I guess it varies state to state. Um, all three of those Christian families ended up not being able to adopt for whatever the reasons are. Um, I can't help but think that they don't really want Christians adopting their little state babies, but you know, that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, it's really difficult and it's really expensive and it's a really a mess. And I agree that those things need to be worked on because there's, and I'm really bad with numbers, but there are more families that want to adopt, like a lot more families that want to adopt than, um, the babies that are aborted every year in America. So it's like those families want those babies, but because both these systems are so messed up, the connections aren't being made. Right. Um, so I agree that those, those systems need to be um, fixed, but I also do know there are a lot of pregnancy centers out there. And this is uh, one of those little known things. I don't want to talk about publicly very often. You don't, you don't hear about them as much, but there are some really great pregnancy centers out there that we have one here that they help mothers to um, in crisis pregnancies and stuff, and they'll help um, support them and their baby for like five years for the, for the baby's first five years of life and help them wow. get established and get going. And so my husband and I like to help, help them out and donate to them. And my daughter's thinking about even maybe going to do some volunteer work there. Um, Cause that's the answer, right? It's like the community coming together to help because most um there, there are situations where people just, you know, abort their babies because they're crazy feminists and they don't care about life. But a lot of them are in, in some kind of crisis. And mm -hmm. there's some reason why they think they can't do this. And so it's really cool that there are these places that are coming together. And I know the one here is Christian-based. But they're coming together and they're saying, hey, we love you. We care about you. We want to help you. This, Let this baby live and we're going to help you to do it. And, and help them get jobs and help them get their life set up. And I mean, I'll tell you, none of those moms regret it. So 
<laughs> where a lot of women suffer the consequence of, of abortion and end up doing drugs and alcohol and have these guilts and these sufferings that go on from there. That's also a little discussed. Um, the women that choose life never, ever regret it. So that is actually an interesting set that I, I talk about a lot is the, uh, so the, the argument uh, that I hear a lot is, well, what if the woman's raped? Shouldn't she be allowed to abort it? Even when you look at the stats on acceptance on uh, women who give birth to, or no, women who have aborted a child due to rape, seven out of 10 regret the decision. Seven mm -hmm. out of 10 regret the decision. But they had no alternative. There was, they didn't want to put their kid in a system where they'll just grow up as a ward mm -hmm. of the state for 18 years. That, that creates psychopaths. I mean, just like the government. I mean, the government's full of psychopaths. Why, why yeah. create more? So, um, yeah, they it, do. That, that's, that's that number. I didn't know that exact number. So thanks for sharing that. But I did know that was the case. And because then those women, they suffer double trauma because they, they suffer the rape and they suffer the abortion. And most of the women that choose that choose life, they find healing in the new life, the ones that keep the babies, you know, they're like, wow, this, yeah. this was terrible, but this is, you know, something new and something beautiful to look forward to and helps them find healing. Talk about so, empowered women. Okay. Women who keep those babies are some of the bravest women in the world. And I think they should be commended more often for that awesome feat. Yeah, they should. I mean, so uh, the argument that I'm making is what's mm -hmm. more beneficial, letting the people who are already saying, the system needs to be changed and we'll do, you know, we'll go through with having these kids, let them make the choice or just outright banning it like Republicans would do or have done. I, I, I think abortion should be 100% illegal. And I'll go back to the Declaration of Independence says that these unalienable rights are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I know Kamala Harris took life out when she said that the other day because she was speaking to a pro-abortion people. She just skipped right over the word life. But that's right there in our founding document. Of course, I know it's in, you know, in the Holy Bible. So that matters to me. Maybe that doesn't matter to everybody, but it is in our Declaration of Independence. So as far as government goes, that's one of our foundational issues is protecting life. And, and I think that, I mean, these babies are torn apart limb by limb. Like there's no justification for that. The, the, the actual process itself is super barbaric and completely inhumane. And there is... In, there is nothing in this world, no trauma, no, no dreadful future, no worry of money or cost that could ever justify ripping an innocent baby apart. So I'm all for the ban and then come what may. And I know that a lot of these churches, Christian people, good people just around the planet are, are, are out there. There's pregnancy centers, there's help, there's, there's homes for these women. Like, and maybe as the, um, if abortion was outlawed, maybe more of that stuff would start happening. And, and it, honestly, I think it's a responsibility of the church specifically to stand up and, and fill in the gap. Well, I don't know that we'll see eye to eye on this, but I think we can, uh, are you on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? I'm on Twitter, Gab and Truth. I'm not super active. I'm not consistent, but I do have fun when I go on there. Well, you and I might have to host uh, what do they call them, Twitter Spaces, and we'll we'll have oh. opposing viewpoints on this. I haven't done oh, a Twitter fun. Space thing. Um, I think I think I, I think I have the ammunition to com fully convert you uh, to my side, which is banning things don't work, circular prohibition or you know firearm bans. But you know, what do you feel about murder? Is it okay to ban murder? Do you think that should be illegal or not? Well, I think the federal government has absolutely zero laws against murder. What about states? States do. But the only reason it's it's illegal and is enforced regularly, as it should be, is at the state level. Even most counties have laws against murder. So, okay. Yeah, I would I would be willing to have this debate in further detail with you. I think that'd be great. I might even I have my daughter tune in. <laughs> Well, that I mean, I think it would be fun because I think for yeah. you're you're a very knowledgeable person and very firm on your beliefs. I like to think I'm knowledgeable and I like to think I'm solid on my beliefs. But actually, you know what? I'm not. I can easily be convinced of any argument as long as I think it's the best argument. Uh, as long as it's the one that I'm makes with you. 
I'm with you on that. Like, cause I'm, I'm willing to learn. I like learning. I love learning. I'm kind of obsessed with it. It's like, I'm always reading and studying and what's next. And I am willing to uh, assess the facts, you know, and, um, see what makes sense. You know, it's like my husband and I were just talking about that this morning. Like some people just get so set in their ways and, and like, we're just kind of not like that. I, and you know what? I love looking at like crazy conspiracies and like these fear like my daughter is right now studying antarctica for geography and so she's looking into all the secret society theories and you know we love looking at stuff like that and so then it's like prove me wrong right prove them wrong because then you're challenged and then you can you you either come out um you either change your mind or you strengthen your convictions so i love a good debate whatever the whatever the topic is well Christy, we'll definitely have to get this organized. I'll have to reach off, uh, reach out to you offline. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. It, it, this has been awesome. We'll have to do another one. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a really great time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you coming on. You have a good night. You too.